Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast, Strength, Power and Vulnerability. I nearly forgot the mind podcast name there. Um, it turns out I'm nervous as well. Uh, we've got a special guest, a bloke I've met in the last six months, uh, now playing footy with, and he's the vice captain. Um, and he did an ins- inspirational talk yesterday yeah. before the game, which had everyone in chills. Uh, it's Daniel Fennick, welcome. Yeah, Shane. How you going? Good. How are you? Pretty nervous, mate. Nervous. As you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Daniel is very nervous, and uh, one of the things we just sort of spoke about, he's nervous because you basically don't want to be seen like you're seeking attention from this. Yeah. Uh, what when I asked you when you said yes, what is it you wanted to achieve out of this going forward? Uh, the thing that really got me around on board was when you were talking about how you're doing a survey around the other footy clubs, and especially at ours. Even when I can't remember the exact numbers, but there was quite a few people that had a lot of stuff going on that wasn't. Uh, I guess you could say that I didn't really know about. Yeah, and I think that sort of sums it up well. Like you know this stuff is going on with normal guys yeah. that you may not know and they seem fine and I guess I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, as we said, we, we had that conversation uh, because you listened to my podcast and said that we had similar stories yeah. in a way and yeah. um, just so you out there can understand, I have probably at least six blokes who talked to me through from Yarra Glen and I've only been yeah. there six, eight, seven months. Yeah. Um, and basically have told me their full stories and I know personally that there's other people at the club as well who probably suffer. Um, and I know there's a lot of netballers, so. Which is funny because, you know, I guess, you know, you always hear the stats that all these people are affected, but when you sort of say at Yarra Glen specifically, I was like, I would have no idea who those six people yeah. are. Cause when I tried, I, I can't think of anybody that comes off the, mo- off the top of my head that's like, yeah, he looks a bit flat all the yeah. time. And, and I guess that's exactly how I was when I was in my really bad stage. Yeah. And I, I'd be interested to know. Um, I told someone I was on the podcast with you today. Okay. Um, and they're like, what? He has a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing this probably most people at the club would be the same. Yeah. And before we get into your story, is there people who do know at the club? Um, yeah, I'm sure there'd be a few. Yeah, there's a few, probably a handful of people, but, yep. you know, I've, I've sort of told people in confidence, but also at the same time, I wouldn't say it's ever been something that I'm ashamed of or necessarily embarrassed of, but more so something that I've kept quiet because of the old, I don't want to be out there seeking attention. Like, I don't, I don't want people to feel sorry for me at all. And I don't want to come across as like, be like me, you know, I I, I had a shit time and look what you can be. Yeah. That's not the point. Yeah. That's, that's really, and admittedly, that's what I'm nervous about coming on the show. I just really don't want to come across as that. (laughs) And that's what I basically said to Daniel. I said, I wouldn't have a guest on who was wanting to seek that attention um, because that's not who I am and that's not who any of the guests have been. So uh, I guess I'm for the listeners out there, I'm actually patting his dog and the dog <laughs> is absolutely loving it um, and he's the best little dog. I'm sure that'll get mentioned today. He's my boy. <laughs> um, firstly, tell me about your childhood, family, friends, uh, school, sport. What was it like? Yeah, I, I would say I had a pretty typical childhood, you know, there was... I was the youngest of five, so, you know, it was a pretty busy house, but um, we were traditionally quite loud. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you weren't loud, you weren't heard. But maybe that's why I'm so loud now. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere I go, you know. But, um, 
Yeah, I got to say, it was a pretty, pretty happy, regular, normal childhood. Yeah. You know, good friends, good school. Didn't really have any, just the usual dramas, you know, like getting into trouble at school, like detentions and stuff like that, but nothing major. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was it was quite normal. But so, I, from yeah. an outsider's perspective, brilliant life, basically. Yeah. Just yeah. Normal. Hundred percent, as you as you'd want to be raised, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. parents loving, parents loving, yep. family. Yep. Um, sport, sport. I played footy for Kilsyth. Yeah. Under tens up until I think I was about 17, 18 when I started working. Um, yeah, loved it. Loved the footy club environment. Loved being part of the team. You know, same as what it is now. You know, yeah. I just really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, you said you started working 17, 18. Did you finish high school? Or was it- yeah, I did. I actually was working during my high school years, you yeah. know, my part-time job. I used to work at my sister's restaurant. Yeah. So it was always... Um, Does she still own the restaurant? No, uh, not anymore. Okay, well, let's not no. give it a plug then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I was, I was working working a lot through high school and stuff, and then uh, it's pretty busy, yeah. admittedly. And driven? Were you driven by working, getting money to be able to save for a car? Yes. Yeah. yeah, always. Yeah. Always. From yeah. when I was, I couldn't wait till I turned 14 because I couldn't wait to work. Yeah. And so I could save up and buy a house. Yeah. That was always, that, I guess that's always how we were raised, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was from mum and dad's sort of upbringing because, you know, they were immigrants and stuff from Malta and they were very much, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I would like to think that me and all my brothers and sisters have done. Yeah. Well, as we are renovating your own house now, as we yeah. just found out, and um, that's something that a lot of people can't afford to do. Because, and sometimes it's because we don't earn the right money. But <laughs> a lot of the time, you need to work really hard to do that. So yeah, it's fair to say you've done that. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, you suffer depression. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Anxiety. I wouldn't say anxiety, um, but I've definitely been diagnosed with depression. Yeah. Um, lately, you know, things have been quite good yeah. for the past quite a few years now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, at, at the, I was diagnosed when I was 20, 19 or 20 years old, I think. Cause I'll just stop you there. Was through your teenage years, was there any instances where you felt something was wrong? Yeah, definitely. Can you definitely. talk about those? Yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, remember times when I was in high school and I just remember like, for example, I was studying for a maths exam or something like that. I might have been in like year 11 or whatever. And I just couldn't figure it out. Like I, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't get it. And I'm like pulling my hair out. I'm trying really hard. But then the more frustrated and angry I got, the worse I was at solving the problem because yeah. my brain wasn't working properly. And I remember just losing it and just like, you know, smashing things. And this, I remember just like, it's quite embarrassing to say. I was really embarrassing myself. But I just like, like grabbed my either arm and just like clawed my arm and just like scratched myself and like started like bleeding and I had to like so was, self-harming yeah I guess like, so like blaming yourself for the emotion you're feeling oh more beating up myself a lot yeah. like you're a fucking idiot yeah. like how can you not do this you are so dumb you're useless and all this sort of stuff and um you know that was something that was there and I didn't understand at the time I just thought what's the matter with me you know yeah. like I'm just I'm just a very bad temper. Yeah, yeah. Know? I was just a bit, of a bit of a psycho. Yeah, and that's and that's what you're telling yourself, which yeah. probably didn't help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the dog is just craving attention, and I think the dog sneezed before. So if you heard a sneeze, that was the dog <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right into the microphone. Yeah. Um, so 
Did that happen regularly or was there just yeah. specific? So it was a regular Yeah, it was, that, that was just an example. But like outbursts like that would happen um, quite a bit. Quite a bit, yeah. Did other people see these things? And There was one time one time at school where there was a pretty uh, dramatic sort of blow up when uh, I actually nearly got kicked out of school for it when I was in year 12. Um, I had a bit of an issue with a high school coordinator. I yeah. won't say his name, but, yeah. yeah, we never really got along. We really didn't get along. And um, it was such, like, a petty thing, but he always used to, like, have a go at me for not having a lock on my locker. Yeah, and uh, I should I should start off by saying I was already quite stressed at the time because I found out my mum had breast cancer. Like I think it was earlier in the week. Yeah. Anyway, so I had this coordinator give me a hard time. I had that about my mum, and then I got to my locker after sixth period, and I had to shoot off and go straight to work. And my locker had been bolted shut. Oh. And because that's that's what he was threatening he was going to do if he does if if you don't get one I'll bolt it shut. And I remember being like, I I just lost it, like in front of the whole year level. Like it was it was embarrassing, really. In hindsight, like really embarrassing. Like I'm I'm smashing my locker, I'm kicking it. All these people are gathered around, like what's going on, Fenno? What's going on? And I'm like, really going to town on this door. My mates were helping me trying to rip it off because I'm like, I don't care. I've got to go to work. Like yeah. I'm not gonna rock up. I'm gonna miss my bus. Not get to work on time. Anyway, so as I'm, like, ripping it off, going for it, I see the coordinator come down who, you know, who I had the issue with, and he's like, oh, so what's going on here, Mr. Fennec? And that's when I just, I lost it. And, yeah. like, admittedly, like, the way I spoke to that teacher and, like, I was I was lucky I, had, I f- physically had my friends there, like Ethan, who lives with me now. Yeah. He was one of the guys there physically holding me back because I was on him every, everything you could think of and, like, I, I wanted... I wanted to attack him. Yeah. I physically wanted to attack him. Um, yeah, that that was a, probably the most public embarrassing thing. But the <laughs> the ironic part of it was, and this is where it's it shows you know you should think about stuff. Is it wasn't actually that coordinator that put that bolted my locker shut. It was some other guy that I'm actually good, still good friends with now. I thought that it would be funny as like a little joke. You had no idea about anything else, and he just meant it as like a harmless little yeah. prank. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, because yeah. the way that I reacted, as opposed to, like, thinking about it and just, like, in calm, like, I snapped. Yeah. And, like, I was lucky to not get expelled. This, like, for me, I used to snap because, and, like, I knew this when I thought about it going back, is that I was holding on to all this unknown emotion of hatred yeah. and self-esteem issues and, I guess, um, thinking you were different than everyone else. And then, so, you feel like that incident is the world having a go at you. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. Yeah. You just thought... Everyone's against me. Yeah. Right like, now, especially what, what after now? the news of your mum. Yeah. It's like everything is against you. Yeah. But how ridiculous does that seem? I, I know. <laughs> but and, and this, that's your mind set through that period. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like luckily they, they didn't kick me out because um, a few other teachers and that, like, I sort of looked at it from the whole broad picture point of view because if they did, you know, God knows what would have happened. Yeah. Like it would have just turned a problem into a bigger problem. Yeah. A bigger and bigger problem. So, so basically, those teachers like almost saved you in a way. Yeah, for, C- certain teachers definitely gone. definitely stood up for me and said, "Just give this guy a chance." I think he's he's not this like psycho trouble yeah. child that you think. Because yeah, the way that I reacted that day was 
you'd think, yeah, we, we need yeah. to do something about this kid. Yeah. Um, so you said you were diagnosed with depression at 19. What, where did the diagnosis come from? Did you go speak to someone? Or uh, I actually think it was more like 20. But um, so I remember I was working and I was constantly, just constantly beating myself up constantly. And I was very, um, how can I explain it? Like I'd be at work and I'd just be walking around and I'd, and I'd sort of like have a bit of a smile on my face because I'd be around other people. But in my back of my mind, I'd be like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like what's going on? And I, and it got to that point where, you know, I wasn't able to sleep. Um, just constant negative thoughts. I remember like even, um, like driving down the Eastern freeway and just thinking, God, I hope I have a crash. Yeah. Like, you know, awful things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I heard that, uh, I think there was a bit of an ad campaign going on at the time. And I uh, went to the doctor about depression and just see, like, hang on, maybe I've got this here. And I did speak to the doctor and they, they the GP, and they did diagnose me with depression and set me up. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but I believe they referred me to a psychologist and set me up with a bit of a plan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, even, uh, I think they, I can't remember, I think they prescribed me with, with uh, antidepressants at that time. So they gave me antidepressants and set me up with a psychologist. Psychologist or psychiatrist? Oh, it could have been either. Yeah. I'd say psychologist to start with. The one you just talked to, yeah? Yeah, psychologist. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it like being diagnosed with depression? Uh, it was, in a weird way, kind of like a bit of a relief. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, there is something tangible that's wrong with me. It's not like... I'm not just a sook. Yeah. You know, I'm not just like moody, temperamental. I'm not just like having a broken heart because I've broken up with my girlfriend. Cause yeah. that, you know, that's, that had happened at the time. And I was like, and I think, I think that's how a lot of people thought of it. And that's how I thought of it as well. I'm yeah. like, I'm just flat because I broke up with my missus. And, uh, in a way it was nice to know that, okay, there is something medically wrong with me. Yeah. And there's a way to treat it. Yeah. And did you tell family members, friends no. at the time? Is all no. So you went to the doctor off your own back, yeah. basically. Didn't tell anyone. Didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone anything, really. I, I sort of like dropped a hint at one of my friends who's a nurse. Yeah. And he sort of like picked up on it. And no, nobody would have known. Because I yep. think as I was saying this to you before, I had depression. But I was, I remember like, it was like, you know, one in the morning, I'm at Dakota dancing away like smiling but in my head i'm thinking i fucking hate myself yeah you know and and how how could anyone possibly ever know yeah yeah so and then you're probably as you said you were you left early and i guess that almost probably hid the way you felt as well because you just seen as someone that went home and yeah i was always yeah i was always like all right see you guys later yeah you know that was there was there anything that happened when you got home um like oh yeah because you're off uh, on alcohol obviously yeah um, what was that feeling? Because you're going home to your by yourself? Oh, admittedly, like, it was just, like, a lot of crying and stuff like that. But it was more probably on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. On the Sunday. On the on the Saturday night, you know, you'd go home, you'd drunk, you'd fall asleep, and you'd be like, oh, all right, whatever. Then you'd wake up, you'd be hungover, and it would get to, get to about 11. I remember being like, all right, now what do I do? Yeah. You know, like... Day off. I should be like, sweet, day off. I can yeah. do whatever I want. But I hated having time off because I had nowhere to be, nowhere to go, nothing to distract me from how I actually felt. Yeah. So I was forced just to sit there and then let it hit me as to, okay, I actually do feel terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some of the things you um, – was your suicide after the diagnosis attempt, sorry, was that after 
yes. the diagnosis? How yeah. long after the diagnosis was it? Um, it wasn't much long after, actually, because I guess with antidepressants and things like that, they're not an overnight fix. Yeah. Like, a lot of the time, they're like, yeah, it takes six weeks for it to happen, for it to actually start affecting you. And I, I believe it was in that sort of maybe five to six weeks period where I think the point that drove me to the suicide sort of it area. An, it wasn't an attempt. An attempt. A it wasn't an attempt. It was like a plan. Yeah. I don't know how you want to describe it or whatever. But it was more so the fact that I was like, okay, there's something wrong with me. This was my thought process. Yeah. There was something wrong with me. I went to the doctor. I'm on medication. I'm speaking to people. And I still feel this way. Yeah. And that's when I was like, holy shit, I'm going to feel this way forever. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm doing everything they're telling me to do. Nothing's and yet, changing. I'm still lying in bed at like three in the morning, staring at the ceiling, feeling like the whole world's crushing on top of me. Yeah. And that's what drove me down that dark dark road there did you think that the world was better off without your family friends was it that that part of it as well like here i am this person that i hate myself why would anyone else like me or was it yeah yeah i, I guess there was, there was definitely a part of um what am i bringing to the table yeah like you know like yeah i i i, I understood that my family and that would be upset but it was very much like you know i'm i'm not really contributing much yep not really bringing much to the table. Which if you look back now, you were bringing plenty to the table. Yeah, in, in hindsight, yeah. and with a clear head, yeah. you can see that. But yeah. it's it's very easy to look back now and go, I was dumb. Yeah, yeah. You know, that but doesn't make sense. That's that's normal. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah. Um, how did you... So you had the plan. How did you stop the plan? How did... What happened through that time? Did like, you call someone? Yeah, I did actually. So I was, um, you know in a secluded spot in my car by myself and, you know, had taken the day off work, like just called in sick to work and it was like, this is it. Like this wasn't an overnight decision. Yeah. This, this wasn't like a, I've had a bad night, I'm going to do it. Like this was a thought out plan, you know, things had been purchased, um, you know, location had been picked, all these sort of things had been, it was well thought out. And, um, yeah, I, I remember just being in the car and just being like, I just feel so bad and there is no way that it's ever going to get any better. But then, honestly, the thing that sort of saved me was like, I can't do this to my mum and dad. Yeah. Like, I can't. Like, it would absolutely crush them. And I think like, not only do I feel like shit, but how fucking selfish must I be? Mm. You know? And that, that's what, that's the thought that was going through my head. I'm like, you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't want them to be devastated. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it's like, I, I didn't want to do it. Like, I don't want to do it, but I just could not see any other way of not feeling terrible yeah. ever again. I was like, well, it's either I feel terrible for the rest of my life or I break my mom and dad's heart. Yeah. That, they were the two decisions that I felt that I had to choose between. Which is horrible. Yeah. It's a horrible thought process. Neither of them was a good option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so who did you call? I actually called Lifeline. Yep. And, you know, probably one of my big regrets is that I never got a hold to that lady who I spoke to that day because without a doubt, that lady definitely saved my life. Like, I was I was on a knife edge. I was like, you know, they're so close, so close. One thing could have tipped you quite easily in yeah. that moment. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, hats off to them because I was on the phone to that lady and I was just like a hysterical, disgusting mess. You could probably barely understand every second word I was saying. Um, I was probably on the phone to her for about 45 minutes. Um, yeah, like I said, she was fantastic. And after a while of just talking and things like that, she, um, she convinced me to go to Marinda Hospital, uh, into the emergency department and just go up to triage and I handed them my, the note my goodbye letter that I'd written to everyone. Yeah. And and that's what I did. And then I was, through that, I was admitted to, uh, I think there's a psych ward at Marunda Hospital. Yeah. yeah. And I spent about a week in there. Was that? Confronting. Yeah. Definitely confronting. Um, Are you glad you went into the psych ward or is it something that it happened, I don't really want to go back ever into a psych ward kind oh, of thing? I I... I, I don't think anybody in a psych ward wants to be in a psych ward. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, there's nobody in here thinking like, oh, yeah, this is good. But it's also like, oh, yeah. I, I just remember like the, the small details of there. The, some things that like stick in my mind that like, you know, in the showers and stuff in there, you know, you've got like hooks where you can hang your jacket, but there are these special hooks that like flip down. Yeah. So if you put too much weight on it, you know, it flips down. And I'm uh, thinking, why the, oh, far out, like. Yeah. This is where I'm at, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and now I'm in my room, I'm like sleeping in there and there's a lady coming in like every 35, 40 minutes and I'm like, holy shit, like I, I really need to sort my shit out. Yeah. I really need so to. So it was a good wake up call in a way. Yeah. 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 This is pretty serious. Yeah, if absolutely. I, if I don't change this, this won't get better. Correct. Yeah. So how did you start to change it? Um, you know, I think... I think one of the big things that got me out of that space was just, in a way, sort of like letting it go as a secret. Because obviously when I was in the psych ward, that's when um, all those really hard, awful conversations have to happen, like with your parents. Yeah. Because I remember I I messaged one of my good mates and I I just told him, because he was a nurse and I knew that he would get it. I didn't have to go into detail. I just said, oh, listen, I've been admitted to the ward. And he knew what that meant. Yep. And I also spoke to my sister, one of my sisters, and, um, you know, she came down and it was hard. It was confronting, but it was also like half of the the weight of hiding it wasn't there anymore. And it made it a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. As it's like, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. You know? So it was a relief again. It was a, re- it was a relief. It was a relief to not have to hide it. Like hard and awkward and embarrassing. Yeah. I'm not going to deny Like, I was so embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being in the psych ward and there was this dude in there. He had, like, schizophrenia or something. And he's having an argument with a packet of cigarettes. Yeah. And I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It makes you feel... almost makes you feel a bit crazier sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, when I was in hospital, they told me not to go into the psych ward. They said it would make me feel worse. Mm. So I guess it's different for everyone in yeah. that way. Um, how was the support from people when they started to find out? Did you still keep it very close, close knit, just family, couple of friends? Um, well, I've been really lucky. Like my friends, I just, I can't thank them enough. Like, um, yeah, it actually gets me like emotional thinking about it. Like the amount of support that I got was just ridiculous. So, you know, like my friends in the cycle, there was a basketball court, right? And I remember like my mates, they were all work and they all came in. I remember seeing my good mate Luke come in and this is when it hit me hard. And he wasn't crying when he came in, but I said, I knew he'd been crying. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I owe it. Not just to myself, but to everybody else to get 
right because I care about these people and they really care about me. So it's that that was that was the thing and it really got me over the line. And yeah, my mates like they might not have necessarily have known exactly what to say because who does it's in that situation? Nearly impossible. But what what we did is they came around. Everyone else in that cycle every day they came and visited me and we just played basketball. Yeah. Or we just talk shit, you know. And and it was just like didn't didn't make me feel like a, a victim or a patient. It was just like. Oh, made, yeah. Made you feel like Fenno. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like myself. I'm like, yeah, this is a bit weird. And, you know, even like that sort of like um, taking the piss out of each other that we always do just a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, just little things like that. It's sort of like it's it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they were fantastic. Um, yeah, I can't thank them enough. And also my um, – another thing that really hit me hard, and I've still got this letter. One of my sisters, Josephine, wrote me this really beautiful letter actually. She was pregnant at the time. Um, so you made a pregnant girl more emotional. Yeah, my sister. <laughs> she, she wrote this letter and it was all about um, like the legacy yeah. you leave behind. And it really got me thinking. Like it was it was a really beautiful, heartfelt letter. But it really got me thinking about, yeah, the legacy you leave behind. And I'm like, if I kill myself, I'll forever be remembered by my nephews and nieces as that uncle who killed himself. Yeah. You know, at this at this you know, back then the kids were only like uh, I think the eldest was like four or five or something. And I'm like, that's shit. Yeah. Like and then they start start getting a bit like you know, you start getting your, your back up a bit, and I'm like, I'm more than that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not. I don't want to just be remembered as that guy that killed himself. So she challenged you. Yeah, a little bit. It's yeah. like, what sort of legacy do you want to leave behind? I'm yeah. like, no, I don't. I don't want to be the uncle that killed himself. I want to be the uncle that, like, you know, takes the kids to footy and like. They teaches them stuff and buys them alcohol when they're 16 and does all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I, I don't want that. So, so no, it was basically another thing that drove you to want to help yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. After the psych ward, is there anything you want to add on that, friends, or anything like that before you move on or is that? Oh, no. Like, like I said, you know, um, not everybody got it, admittedly. Like, my friends were great, but there were some, some people... I won't say who they are. Not, not, yeah. Who um couldn't get their head around it, and, and like, and that's okay. Yeah, isn't it? I know you've spoken off air about some things that have happened. Yeah. Um, but some people just don't get it. Yeah, and that's okay. But I guess it's the way they go from there. Yeah, you would say. I would say. That's yeah, that's the important thing. Um, don't have to understand it. Yeah. What, what you do about that is different because I've got friends who don't understand it, but yep. they're just friends. They just treat me like I'm normal. Exactly, anyway. and and you can do that, yeah. yeah. But I guess all, all I would say is to someone who, for example, they they had a they they were close to someone who was going through it, and if they didn't quite understand how to deal with it, maybe maybe get a bit of advice and say how do I approach this? Because not everybody has to be a shoulder to cry on. You yeah, know, everyone's got a different role. Yeah, to play. Yeah. And you don't want to t- you don't want to make someone do something that's not them. Yeah. Either, but they've got to be them and find their own way mm. to support going forward. And and what are you going to take advice from someone who doesn't quite know? Yeah. So like, yeah. Why would you listen to that advice? Yeah. But even then, I think there's ways to go about it that would make the person, like in this case me, to not feel worse about the situation. Lucky there was a lot more positive than negative, but yeah, there was definitely negative there as well. I think that happens with everyone. I think that's 
um, just you yeah. um, as well, like a lot of people I speak to have that. Um, and I guess it's how we manage that from that point moving forward, yeah. which is the most important thing. So um, what did you then start working on after the cycle ward? What were the things that you did and helped you go forward? Well, for me personally, I I was on antidepressants, which I think by this stage they were starting to do their job. Yeah. Um, they just sort of – I like to think of them – for me, it was like a bit of a, just a bit of a leveling out, a bit of a band aid, you know, like a bit of like a, the highs were not as high, but the lows were definitely not as low. Just sort of like, all right, let's just streamline. Let's just, yeah, consolidate, get your shit together and then move forward from there. Yeah. So I think that definitely helped me in that regard. Um, you know, and I, I think I was just a lot more comfortable in, um, accepting that I have an illness and I'm not, I was sick and I'm not being a little bitch about it. Yeah. I'm just sick. And it's like, hey, if, you know, you go to, you go to dodgy ankle or something, you'll go to the physio. Yeah. But why is it that your brain is more, you use your brain more than you use your ankle. It's done 24 hours. A lot of people don't work on that. So, yeah. you know, I, I, um, I actually chained psychologists. Yeah. Um, psychiatrists, I always get, I always get those two mixed up. Sorry. Um, yeah, I changed. I went to start speaking to somebody different and I found I responded to them a lot better than I did my first one. Yeah. Which, yeah, that definitely made a big difference for me because I guess, you know, psychologists are people as well. Yeah. And not everybody connects on um, on the level. And it's like, especially with something like that, it's not, it's not like they're an electrician. Yeah. You know, who doesn't matter. You don't really have to connect as long as they get the job done. Yeah. Like the whole point of their job is to connect and make you feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that definitely helped in that and the medication, um, being more open about it with myself and with people around me. I think that allowed me to like gradually get my way out of it. You know, it was a early on a bit of a roller coaster still through that period of time. Like, definitely, you still struggle. Yep. from time to time. Yeah, um, you know, did you play sport throughout? Did people at the sporting club know? It was, it was just very limited. It was very limited. There was only a handful of people. Only only my mates that were visiting me knew, and you know, my close family members. Um, yeah, it was it was it was still definitely hard. Like it was a massive roller coaster, and yeah. you know, you had the embarrassment of it all, and and like. For my mum and dad, for example, they had no idea about anything until I was in the psych ward. Yeah. And they were like, what the hell? And, and mum and dad were like, why, why didn't you, you tell me about this? Yeah. You know, which I'm sure is pretty, like, a, it's a pretty common thing. Yeah. And looking back at it now, I know if I had kids, I'd want to know. Yeah, yeah. So you could help. But at the time when you're... In that headspace. Yeah. You don't want to put that added pressure on them. You also don't know what you're thinking or going through. Yeah. Really? You should confuse yourself. So it can be quite confronting in all ways. Yeah. Well, for me, I guess the thing that got me is I was very much like when I was bad, I was like, who the fuck are you to be suicidal? Yeah. Like, you've got a great family, good friends, you've got a solid job. And there's people out there that have got nothing. They're living on the streets. You know, their, their parents are just trash and all these t- other terrible things. Like, my life is actually quite good yeah. on paper. But for some whatever reason in my brain, it's pushing me to that. Yeah. So, on top of the depression, there was also like the, um, yeah. Guilt. The guilt. Yeah. Like, I, I did not have the right to be depressed. Yeah. Which doesn't help. No, absolutely. It just compounds the issue. Yeah. 
it definitely compounds the issue. So I guess like after my time in the psych ward and things like that, I um so I got my head around that a lot more. And then I guess that guilt was gone. Yeah. And I guess that's probably like a big way of um went a, went a long way to my recovery, being yeah. able to recover, like taking the shackles off. Yeah. Um. Over the next few years. Um, work successful, always been an electrician. So, yes. 10, yep. 11 years. Yep. Yep. Um, you work for yourself or do you work for someone? No, no, I work for a boss. And actually, I should mention also, my boss was very good. Yeah. Um, he, when I was in the psych ward, I had to tell him, you know, hey, yep. I'm not going to be in work for a week. And he, he's only, actually, I think my sister called him because at this stage I was just like a mess. Yeah. And then I spoke to him a few days later and he's like, what's going on? And I'm, and he's like, actually, you don't have to tell me. Just are you like in trouble with the law? He had no idea. For all he knew, I could have like gotten arrested. Yeah, yeah. You know. So I said, look, it's nothing to do with that. Nothing illegal. Nothing is going to like. It's just something that I just need to get on top of. Which I think he read between the lines. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was very supportive about that. Did you have more time off work after that week, or was it something? I think I had about. Yeah, so I had that week off, then I had a few more days, but for me it was just, you know, I just wanted to get back. You wanted? I wanted to get back, yeah. Yeah. Um, how important was that to get back, you? Well, for me it was structure. So yeah. so I guess the the part with depression that I struggled with was negotiating those times on like a Sunday where I didn't have anywhere where I needed to be or anything that I necessarily needed to get done. It was yeah. like, oh, it's free time. That was hard. Yeah. So by getting back to work, it means that I those periods that I had to negotiate were a lot smaller. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to negotiate one day of not knowing what to do as opposed to a whole week. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a structure. Yeah. Which and I find a lot of people, once they leave school, they really struggle the most because they lose the structure of school. Yeah. I like school, but yeah. we, we actually need it. Yeah. The structure yeah. is so important to our lives. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what you're getting at is you just needed some time to, I guess, it's less time to think. You're, act, you're acting, you're moving, your brain's active in a way, in a yeah. constructive way. Yeah. So. Yeah. You come home and you're like, yeah, I've done something. Yeah. Whereas... For example, for me personally, I know that if I wasn't working, I'd lie in bed that night and be like, what have you done today? Yeah, and um, I feel guilty. Exactly, yeah, 100%. So. Um, when did uh, lovely Caitlin come onto the scene? Caitlin and I have been together. It's a bit of a contentious issue, this, because <laughs> we do have a bit of a grey area with our anniversary. We've been together for um, about a year and a half to two years, I guess you could say. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, she's been great. I did. Did you have to break the conversation to her, like you had depression, or was it just something that sort of came up one day? Or? Well, yeah, it came up, like, when we were dating, it definitely came up, but um, it wasn't something, like, I felt like I had to drop a big bomb on yeah. it, because by the time Caitlin and I um, met, I was quite on top of this. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've I've learned how to manage it yeah. over the years. And so like I suppose it was just like a heads up. I think we were like I don't know, we'd we'd been seeing each other for maybe three or four months, you know, we were like you know, out one night having a bit of a drink and a chat and it just sort of came up in this general conversation, really. Yeah. And so I guess so it as a it's pretty normal way did you brought it up with her. Is that how it's continued through the relationship or is she um have you two learnt how to manage it together going forward? Yeah. Uh I, I honestly feel like in regards to depression, uh, I have sort of figured out how to manage it before I even met her. Yeah. So, but she's, she, she understands it and, um, she's quite good. So, you know, I, I can tell her, listen, it's not you, but 
I know what's happening. Like, I know I'm going through a bit of a patch here. Like, yeah, it's just bear with bear me. Bear with me a bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sorry if I'm not talking. I think it's important that I communicate that with her. Yeah. So she's not like, what's your problem? Have yeah. you not being all shitty? As long as you, you know, you're open about it and say, you know, I'm not angry at you, but I just really want to sit in silence for this car yeah. trip. Yeah. And she totally gets that. And yeah, she's been fantastic in that regard. Which is hard for females to do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have the same conversation yeah. with Alicia all yeah. the time. Yeah. Like, Please just be quiet. I know yeah. it's hard for you yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's really important to have that. That's yeah. someone that understands, or even if they don't understand, is happy to listen when you do communicate. Because sometimes it can be very hard to communicate the thoughts yeah. that are going on. Yeah. Um, how else, I guess, do you manage the depression at the moment? So for me, uh, a technique that I use is, because I guess my, my tendency was to have like a spiral of dark thoughts that go in my head and like real negative thoughts. So I just got a diary now and like I've kept it for years and like, because I really hope nobody reads this diary because <laughs> it's like everything in there is awful, but it's not like a representation of me. It's like... So when my brain is running like a freight train at like two in the morning, sometimes I just put the pen in my hand and it just goes into autopilot. And then, you know, before I know it, I've got like five or six pages of just stuff written down. And then I'm like, close the book and I'm like, now I can sleep. Yeah. And that, and also, um, but being aware of it, I know now that I'm, I don't want to let myself get to that point where I'm in the psych ward again. Yeah. So when I start to feel, oh, something's not right here, rather than trying to, suck it up be a hero i'll just jump on it straight away and i'll see a psychologist yeah it's totally fine and um you know just sometimes that just oh, just that little relief valve you know yeah. like let's let's fix this little problem before it's a big problem yeah yeah that's that's how i've managed it and it seems to have been working out all right for the last 10 years <laughs> it's definitely working because you're very driven and um i wanted to sort of just ask how the goals play a part in all of this, um, like owning your own house, wanting to renovate, wanting to move in with yeah. Caitlin, all of that stuff, and even outside of that, work goals, sport goals. See, like with that, I always I I do enjoy having like you know a long term few year plan on the horizon, but also on the other hand, I just don't want my happiness or success to necessarily be a big goal. Like it's not always about. Winning a grand final, buying a house, getting married. Sometimes, like, for me personally, it's like, and this is a good coffee. Yeah. You know, like. Was that a good coffee you just had? It was was, was a bit average, to be honest (laughs) with you. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes, like, you come home and, like, you see Robbie and you pat him and I'm like, God, I love you, mate. Robbie's the dog. It's not his house, mate. Robbie's the dog. (laughs) Just to clarify. (laughs) But, yeah, I I think, like, it's nice to have, like, the long-term goals so you're heading in a direction, but I think it's also important to... Bracing. Enjoy the little things because otherwise you're going to be constantly chasing something, you know. Because even when you get it, you feel that accomplishment, but then you start chasing something else. now what? Yeah, so you've got to enjoy Mm. the moments in between. That's what I saw a counsellor on Friday, and that's basically what they told me. I've been striving in my head to own a house and be this perfect role model, and they're like, you are already a role model. And so what if you don't buy a house, do what you want Mm. to make you happy now? And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Um, Did uh, So something else has happened in the last couple of years which you told me about and I don't yep. think, how many people know? Uh, you know, a handful of people around the footy club know, but once I, 
once I found out, well, once I said that I was going to do this, I admittedly got a bit more less cagey about it. Yeah. So in the last week, you know, I've just casually dropped it a few more times to a few other people. Yeah. So Daniel in 2016? 2017. Got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis? Yeah, correct. So how did that come about? Uh, that was like very confronting. Uh, yeah. Just one day I literally woke up and I couldn't feel the left side of my body. Just totally out of the blue. And, um, yeah, I, I thought I was just hung over and dehydrated. So, you know, I'm like <laughs> drinking hydrolyte and all this stuff. Um, yeah, went to the doctor and I guess it was kind of a, uh, long drawn out process trying to find the diagnosis yeah so yeah. i guess that was probably the hard well a hard part was like what the hell's wrong with me like this hasn't gone away by the time i had like mris and things like that it's probably about a month probably like a yeah about a four weeks before the symptoms started appearing before i had a neurologist say this is what you've got yeah um yeah and that was that was quite full on did that set off the depression and stuff again in a way or it was, I was definitely upset. Yeah. yeah, I was 100% upset, but I think I handled it quite well in regards to the mental health side of things because I knew that I had to stay on top of the mental health side of things yeah. because I had a predisposition to it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, this, this MS thing is really shit. I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't know if I'm going to be in a body wheelchair I don't know if I'm going to be fine. Like, they say some people are fine, some people are in wheelchair. You know, you start reading all this stuff on the internet. Which is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't Google <laughs> symptoms. Um, yeah, but I, I guess because I was aware that I had to stay on top of the mental health side of things, it was something that I actively did. And I think that really, really um, made a difference. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I was still cried. I was still like, all my eyes out and I went through like all the different stages of emotions. But I guess you could say that there were the stages of emotions that somebody who doesn't have depression would yeah. deal with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so normal. Yeah. Like, it's normal to yeah. be really upset about yeah. that. And at times to think, why me? Why yeah. me? And then as long as you move past that part, um, yeah, yeah. The emotions, you got to let them happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, going back to your goal thing, I remember, like, um, one of the first things that I found out when I got MS, I was like, holy shit, now what? Because at the time, I wasn't playing footy, and I was like, right, um, fuck it. I'm going to play footy anyway. Like, I'm, I'm just going to fuck, I'm just going to give this a crack. Yeah. And, and I found that, I remember I had that thought in my head, then I listened to Eminem's recovery album, <laughs> and I was, like, playing with Robbie at home, and I'm like, yeah, come on, I can do this, you know? And I found that as like a long-term focus yeah helped get me through um yeah and also the support from my friends and Caitlin especially at that time was um that pretty amazing on. well yeah this is the thing with Caitlin I, I remember saying to her I think we were only dating we were like maybe two or three months in at this stage and I, I, I remember specifically saying to her like listen you should probably we should probably just call this now because like, get out. Yeah. Because I don't know where this is going and, you know, I feel... I don't want to drag you yeah. down this, yeah. this road with me and I don't want you to feel like I can't break up with a disabled guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. who, wants, who wants to be that that person, you know? I broke up with him because he had a disability. Yeah. Um, But to Caitlin's credit, she was like, that is just 
absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, she was incredibly supportive. And um, yeah, can't thank her enough. And I was, that's when I was like, shit, I I really need to make this girl my girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I can, I can count on her. <laughs> Jesus, we're in this together now. We're only three months in and she's already backing me. So yeah. Right. Um, what, what's MS like sort of done to change your life and how do you manage that and stuff? Cause it's not something a lot of people know a lot about. Yeah. Okay. So, so at the start I was, um, when the, uh, at the start it's, how do you describe it? I, I may get this wrong. So I apologize in advance if I'm not saying this correctly, but, um, the way that I understand it is that you've got scar tissue in your brain and on your spinal cord that grows. Yeah. Um, and at the start, when it was like growing and changing, that's when I was feeling all of my symptoms. So, you know, there was a stage there where I couldn't walk. Uh, I couldn't mow my lawns. I remember trying to mow my lawns and just being like, go up and down once, like, you know, walk 15 meters yeah. and have to come inside because my whole body would just freeze up. It's like a, it's like a cramp bit over your whole body. Like, I can't describe it without showing it, you know, yeah, like yeah. You, you just get all like cramped up and it's like pins and needles over your entire body and you just cannot move. So what would it look like to describe it? Would it look like when someone gets knocked out and they have no control over their body and their hands go all weird? And- yeah, it's like when your hands go all quarry yeah. and, and like you're trying to move, but it feels like you're moving through quicksand. Yeah. You yeah. know? And um, there was that and then that, that would happen often. Uh like, I remember I was at work and I hadn't really... I told my boss, actually, and he was very good again. But, um, you know, there was a time at work where I'm moving this TV and I was with, like, two other guys. And I'm like, I'm sorry, boys, i got to put this down. And they're like, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, oh, I've, I've got us all back. And I just quickly, like, ran in my car. I remember just, like, crying and just being like, holy shit. Like, this is going to cost me my career. Like, yeah. how can I work as an electrician if I can't move a, you know, a TV? It's not even that heavy. And But luckily, um, you know... I had a steroid-based treatment, which repaired some of the damage. And then, long story short, I got I got to be part of a medical trial that I'm currently in now. And, um, yeah, so every six months I get my treatment, and it, it keeps my symptoms at bay, like, to a manageable level. Like, So I still have symptoms now, but, you know, I can stay on top of them enough to be able to play football again. Yeah, and work. Yeah, play football, work, and live a pretty, pretty normal life. I guess the only difference is I just have to be aware of it. And, you know, fingers crossed, it doesn't get any worse, but so far the treatment's doing its job. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm. Is there anything else on the MS you want to talk about? Well, one thing with the MS, I should say, I, I did have a really good friend. I, I don't want to mention his name because I know he would hate it, but he was also like an absolute rock for me at that time because just by coincidence he has ms as well yeah right and um yeah he was he was there with me 110 percent. like the support i got from him made it so much more manageable so i was really lucky in that sense yeah i, I guess really that's lucky. probably like it's, it's probably a good thing that you talk about now and i guess for more people to be open about this because it does give you that person to then go and speak to if you get that diagnosis so let's say yeah. i get ms yeah um, one day, I know yeah. that you've got it. It's like, oh, you know, I can get advice. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and you know, I feel like this guy has been so good to me that I owe it to somebody else as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah like it's i got to pay it forward, I guess you said. Um, yeah. I think that's all from me. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to this podcast before we wrap it up? Um, not really. I think we pretty much covered it. But yeah. just I just really wanted to stress that I just wanted to thank, like, 
all my friends and all the other people that have like supported me through like MS and depression and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly could never thank them enough. Yeah. So yeah. Other than that. Any um, advice for someone that might be out there suffering like you were? Suffering from depression? Yeah. I would say get help early and fix a small problem become before it becomes a big one. Like it's a lot easier to fix it. Um, yeah, before it just gets out of control. Yeah. And there's there's no shame in it. And, like, you know, you can go to your GP and your GP can give you a mental health plan. And it's not even that expensive. Like, I remember going to the psychologist and it's, like, subsidized. Yeah. It's cost about 40, 50 bucks now. Yeah. And, you know. Can save your life. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like, I think about it from a footy point of view. You know, people do shoulders and knees and ankles and it's always, like, yep, yeah, right onto that. Thousands of dollars. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, your your brains and your emotions are something that you use 24-7. Yeah. So I think that needs to be treated with the same sort of respect as any other part of the body, really. Probably even more so. Yeah. 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 Without there's nothing. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story. No worries. Um, if anyone has anything they want to thank Daniel for, send an email to the email address and I'll pass it on. But thank you for sharing your story. And no, hopefully it wasn't too nerve-wracking. It was pretty nerve-wracking, <laughs> but anyway. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V I T A L I T Y F I T T.com.au.